Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We've got two great guests, but first, a quick thank you to our sponsor. The Real Estate Espresso Podcast is brought to you by International Coffee Farms. International Coffee Farms grows and sells specialty coffee in Boquete, Panama. They now have 11 fully operational coffee farms and they are 100% sold out. They are accepting reservations for farm number 12. If the idea of owning a safe, diversified offshore investment is intriguing to you, check out International Coffee Farms at internationalcoffeefarms.com. That's internationalcoffeefarms.com. We are back here on the weekend edition. We have two great guests today, all the way from Gary, Indiana. Welcome to the show, Tom Olson and Josh Culler. Hey, how's it going, Victor? Good to see you. So we got to know each other a little bit over the last several months, and we've run into each other at live events. Now, you're based in Geary, Indiana, not necessarily what most people think of as the hottest market for real estate, but you've managed to carve out a very interesting niche for yourselves, uh, both flipping houses as well as doing turnkey investing. Why don't you start with the, the house flipping side of the business and give a little bit of background on how you got into this particular line of work? Oh boy, Victor, I've been doing um, construction since I was about 12 years old. 2006 happened. And for, for us, you know, we, we found the, the bust that happened in 2006 in new construction, not really what most people think of the bust as far as the economics that really kind of fell apart in 2008. But we saw unraveling in 2006 with new construction, where really a lot of areas around the country were kind of getting overbuilt. And, you know, the one rule in real estate that always applies is supply and demand. And, you know, we found that it was overbuilt and, you know, when new building permits go from, you know, 500 in a, in a month to like 50 in, in one month, it's just, it's a little crazy. Um, and so pretty much like my kind of work just kind of totally went away. At the same time, I was kind of starting to build my own business on the side, which I kind of had since I was 20 years old. And uh, in that, I kind of started working for, for investors that were actually flipping homes. So I was actually going out and trying to help them find houses. And then I was doing the rehab for them. And then I was helping them get them sold. I did all this work just to be able to have the, the ability to rehab the house. So if you think about um, a, a contractor and the, what the value that they can bring you, like typically part of that value isn't, I'm going to help you go find the house and I'm going to help you get it sold in the back end. But that's what I was doing. I was doing all that for people. And, uh, you know, one thing kind of led to another, but I did about a hundred homes for, for guys in, in those two or three years, worked for three different investors during that, that time period. And I really learned a lot. I learned a lot about construction. I learned a lot about acquisition. I learned a lot about, um, disposition. And, um, one thing kind of led to another, I actually became a partner with a guy we wholesaled about 1500 houses in the span of about, uh, eight years or so. And um, so kind of learn more about acquisition, more about relationship building, more about business during that during that time and develop this program called the active turnkey program, which is exactly what I was doing, you know, way back then when I didn't realize how much value I was bringing to people. And so I actually will help people buy a house. I'll wholesale them the house up front um, and then I'll do the construction for them with our property, with our construction management company. And then we manage for them on the back end. And the whole time we're trying to get our investors into these single family homes, you know, 80% of, of what the after repaired value is or less. So that way they can go and refinance and not really have a lot of their own money in these projects and keep recycling that money over and over and over again. So that's kind of our active turnkey product. And that's kind of how we um, have differentiated ourselves in the market from people. We also do offer turnkey 
um, opportunities as well. We get, we buy portfolios and we might sell those off to investors. And we also, you know, build our own um, portfolios for investors as well. One of the things that happens when you go from doing, you know, one or two or five or even 10 properties to doing a few hundred, or in this case, a few thousand, is you really need to focus on scale and on systems. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because uh, I can guarantee, even though we haven't talked about this in a lot of detail, I can guarantee that you had to build some pretty strong systems to scale to that level. Absolutely. So I believe that scale and, and systems actually starts with structure and starts with being properly aligned to your goals and knowing what your purpose is first. So the, we, we kind of backed up and we, we had to align our, our whole business with a, with new structure. And um, we continue to do that. That's something that you have to continually change in your business is changing structure. And that kind of starts with the accountability chart and just kind of going back to who's in charge of what, making sure that the proper roles and responsibilities are outlined. Um, after that, we've done a lot of what what is called process mapping. So we kind of go through every single process in our business. I should say every process, but like the key you know, 80%, those, it's actually a 20% of processes that produces 80% of your business. And we kind of go through those key processes and we process map those with sticky notes and just, you know, we, we, we pound it out. It takes a while to get it done, but we say, this is what we're doing as is, this is what it should be. And kind of like let everybody talk and let the buy-in happen from the team that's actually producing the product itself. We do the process mapping and then we throw those into what we, we use Podio as far as our, pro, our project management and our um, internal, it's more, it's not really project management as much as it is internal tracking and internal systems to be able to track projects, to be able to track people, to be able to track everything that we do in our business. So that's, we put those processes in order in those. So we kind of know what stage every single process is in when it comes to that. We've also developed an app called Scoper App which eventually we may sell at some point, but right now we just use it internally. And that kind of creates um, the scope of work for, uh, for every project. And we have, I don't know, eight or 900 line items in there. And in doing so, we also have all the SKUs from Home Depot and Lowe's and all the other suppliers that we use for those projects. And um, it just spits us out, you know, a, a material list when we go out to a project and go out and actually like create this 800 line item scope that, that, that we create. And then we've, we've, we've just had to create other processes, payment processes. Um, all those things have to kind of come into play when it comes to scale. Um, and at the end of the day, it, it kind of going back to that accountability chart, you have to constantly be reviewing that and making sure that you have the right people on the bus, first of all, in the, you know, with core values, um, and with proper alignment and with proper, like, are they profitable in the business? Uh, we, we, we do a lot of tweaking on that. We, I, I really do. So just because they may have the right core values and properly aligned may not mean that they're in the right seat on the bus. And we've had to do quite a bit of shifting with that. And we are constantly kind of doing that just because of uh, the changes and the needs of the business. So I'm not sure if that answered the question or if that's where you wanted me to go with that, but that's, that's what, what, what we've done to scale. One of the things we often see in businesses is the management attention usually get spent on things that are of an exception nature. You know, for example, imagine if you were flying on American Airlines and if your flight was delayed, imagine if every time an exception like that bubbled up to the top of the house and the executives of American Airlines needed to get involved. That would be a disaster. It would be an unmitigated disaster. So the question is, how do you build the systems not just to deal with the routine, but also to handle the exceptions so that you don't become the bottlenecks in the business? 
to me, I think that goes back to the, the right people. And you have to, I think you have to create processes even with, with that structure of the people that you put in charge of places to be able to make those calls. It's not about the wrong decision. At least that's what I, I see. To me, I see it's not about making the decision that actually makes things take longer, that actually delays projects or, or makes things not happen. So I think everybody, every leader ought to have a list of things with every one of their direct reports. And I, and I think that that list ought to consist of three things. things are, these are things you do because it's your job. Um, these, you know, these are the decisions you make and you don't ever tell me about it. You just do it because this is your job. The second one are these are the things that you do, but every time you do it, you don't have to ask me to make the decision, but I want you to tell me what decision you made when, when, when you made these decisions. And the third one list are these are the things you never decide on. You don't, you, I have to decide on these are the things that you have to bring to me before we make a decision. And I think a lot of that has to just go back to good decision-making, good, um, understanding of projects and right people, right seat. I love that. I'm going to actually repeat that because I think that's extremely powerful. Number one, here are the things that are your responsibility. You take them, you do them. You don't ever tell me about them. It's your job. The second, when you hit something on this list, go ahead and do it, but I want to be informed about it. And the third list, if it's on this list, you absolutely every time need to ask the, the business leader for a decision. I love that. That's very, very powerful. And it's very clear. Right. And it goes along all lines. It's not just the CEO. It's also like the asset leader of that company. So I own six companies and it's at that asset leader of that company, you know, has that should have that same list with the, his direct reports the people that, that report directly to him. So it's, it's not all, you know, and not, it's not just that, that top level or just the entrepreneur. It's also that culture needs to get brought throughout the whole organization. Yeah, that's very powerful. And what I like about it is it's extremely clear. Um, and, you know, one of the things that is the enemy of almost any business is ambiguity. And, you know, clarity is so vitally important. I love that you've brought that level of clarity to something as simple as how and when to make decisions. Well, I'll be honest with you. This is something that, that we try to put it, put into place, but it's not doing it itself is actually a little bit harder than just the actual application, but actually having the clarity of the application helps. But it's something that I tell you, um, I find myself every day thinking to myself, man, I swear I told this person to do this. But then when I find out what I told them, it was kind of half in my head and half, you know, being clear. So that's something that, that, that I struggle with. And maybe it's, it's what, you know, some of your listeners may struggle with as well, but being clear, making sure that, that you take the time to make those lists and actually put those on paper. Sometimes, sometimes you might say things and then the way that somebody else interprets them isn't exactly the way that you thought it was meant. So sometimes you kind of have to um, go over those lists and kind of say, well, just make sure that we understand these things and put, I think putting them on paper uh, really helps that clarity. Yeah. And I think one, I think one thing just kind of jumping on that too, with Tom being one of his asset leaders for good success is that, it comes with a level of trust too, but with those that those lists that you talked about, those lists evolve over time as you gain trust with. So yes. Tom's the CEO, and we have you know six asset leaders with the companies that that Tom owns. And when it comes down to it, I, and I've been the asset leader for good success for about a year now, a little over a year, and it didn't start off with all of this, the decisions that I'm making right now. You know, it's kind of had to evolve over time you want with to that. Move those decisions over. Right. You know, you want to get to the point where they do more and more because it's their yeah. job and yep. they can make more and more of those decisions. And they've seen you make those decisions several times and they're like, okay, this is what the owner would do. This is what. And that comes with communication levels too. Like you have to communicate. And I, I learned the hard way at first. Like I didn't really 
uh, understand Tom at times and really like come across with a communicative spirit and whatnot, good attitudes oftentimes. But once you build that trust, the communication comes a lot easier and it's easier for Tom to hand off those things, those lists that he talked about where he's not being the bottleneck, but you know, maybe the asset leader is. I hate bottlenecks, Josh. You know, I, I hate bottlenecks too. <laughs> <laughs> so what makes the market that you're currently investing in, in Gary, Indiana, what makes that compelling for a continual stream of investment? I believe in the state of Indiana. I believe it, because it's very fiscally responsible. Um, it is, I think, one of only 13 states that actually still has a AAA bond rating. It is one of only two states, I believe, that has a lot of actual money in the bank as a state is concerned. Um, and we, we are actually, so we're the only state in the entire Midwest where population has actually gone up. And I'm not saying it's like Dallas, Texas, or it's like on fire where, where people are, you know, 2000 people a week are moving to, to Gary, Indiana, but the state as a whole, people are moving to the state. Um, not at some crazy clip, but they are, but, but the population rates are going up. Um, and it's the only state in the Midwest that the population rates have gone up over the last 10 years. So if you look at a map, you'll kind of see all these, these red states. Next, right next to us uh, uh, is probably one of the worst states in the Midwest as far as population people moving out of. And that's the state of Illinois, which is pretty much practically bankrupt. But, but so, so we get to benefit from all that, honestly. Um, so, so, so for instance, in being in Northwest Indiana, my office is closer to downtown Chicago which is a beautiful, awesome, wonderful city, people love Chicago, than the airports. So my office is closer to downtown Chicago than either airport, Midway or O'Hare. And, um, and I get to compete with those same type of rents. So the rents in, in Illinois, I just crossed the border, you know, 20 minutes away from me, and the rents are three, four, or $500 higher than they are in my, in my area. So with all of that uh, combined with Indiana being a very landlord friendly state, as far as for, you know, owning rental properties, you know, all those things really do help in the long term. There's actually a study that just came out. I think it was CNBC that just did this study. And they said the actual net returns of rentals, Indiana was the number one state for actual, actual net, net returns. When, it, when all the dust settles at the end of the day, Indiana was the number one state in the country for, for, for net return. So it's not a sexy state. It's not one of those states that people look at and be like, Oh, everybody wants to move to Indiana. It's a boring state. You know, we even have one of those, you know, uh, we, there used to be this, um, I don't know if it was a motto or what, but the, there's more than corn in Indiana. Yeah. We had actually convinced people that there was actually more than corn in, in Indiana. But nowadays there's actually billboards that come out of Illinois at 8094 coming into Indiana where it kind of says things like Indiana, a, work, a state that works. And it really does. Um, Indiana, uh, Indiana, you know, come to move to Indiana. Are you Illinois yet? Um, yeah, I got an Instagram ad that asked, <laughs> that yeah, had said, are you Illinois? So it's one of those things that had solid economics and we've had very good political leadership over the long haul that a lot of business is just moving from Illinois right to Indiana. A lot of the, a lot of the um, steel manufacturers, a lot of the car plants that have moved out of Michigan have moved to Indiana um, and, and other areas. But so, so for right now, for instance, Gary, Indiana is kind of more of a passion project for me than, than I've ever, than I kind of really intended it to be. But for me, like it's kind of a God given um, drive for me to help the people and the communities of the city of Gary. But as I'm opening my mouth and as I'm seeing and talking to the mayor and actually trying to make things actually happen, um, within the last six months, we've had 3,600 jobs that have been announced in Gary, Indiana. I mean, there's not even 3,600 people without a job in Lake County, Indiana, let alone just the city of Gary, Indiana. There's steel plants that are moving here. A um, billion dollars worth of investment from, from Midal Steel 
um, in, in an expansion that will have 3,500 jobs, temporary three to five year jobs just in that one project and then 1,200 permanent jobs there. Um, it's kind of a place where I believe is going to turn into a logistics town um, because we do have uh, waterway being right on Lake Michigan. We have tons and tons of railroads, mm-hmm. uh, which sometimes are a little bit hard to na- navigate if you're on the roads. Um, we have 8094 that goes east and west, coast to coast, I-65 that goes all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. And then we also have uh, Gary International Airport, which just expanded their runway last year and actually has a longer runway than Midway Airport can now get in you know, the, the largest planes in the world. So you're seeing a lot of logistics companies. I expect companies like FedEx and UPS and those companies to move their plants from Illinois that they are now into those types of, in that, that area. I don't believe we're going to see houses at these prices ever again in our lifetime in Gary, Indiana. Most of my focus, honestly, for the last 15 years has been outside of Gary, Indiana. Um, I've been in focus on all the other towns in Northwest Indiana. You know, we are kind of our own little MSA that people don't realize because we're kind of still part of Chicagoland, but there's a half a million people in these other, all these other little towns that are right, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 people, towns, or cities that are right in Lake County, Indiana. My turnkey investors have been very happy over the last five or six years. It's really fun to be able to go after them and talk to them after three or five years of owning a property and letting them see the, um, the, the actual returns that they've had, the appreciation that really that, 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 that they've been able to see over the last three or five years. And I'm the type of person, I won't do it. I won't let somebody else do it unless I really believe in it. Well, I love that. It doesn't necessarily have to be exciting or flashy. Sometimes boring is some of the best business you can ever do. Yes. <laughs> if folks want to get in touch, what's the best way? Sure. So I don't mind actually giving out my email. If you want to learn about our, our, our the Good Success Company, that's a, that's a real estate education company where we talk about having the right kind of success, not just how to do deals and how to do all that stuff. That's goodsuccess.com. We have a great podcast that uh, Victor was just on with us on the Good Success Podcast. But you can get a hold of me directly. T. Olson, that's O-L-S-O-N, at goodsuccess.com. And I honestly don't mind giving out my cell phone because if anybody wants to text me, as long as you're not a telemarketer, you're not allowed to call me. But if I don't mind giving that out, honestly. So 219-742-7957 if somebody would like to text me and get a hold of me. Um, If you are interested in the turnkey, I will probably pass you off to my asset leader, Jared Stoutmeister, who runs um, Olson Group for me. And he does a great job with that. And also the property management company, Cheryl, because in the end, I believe it doesn't really matter how good of a deal you really have. If it's not properly managed, it's not going to work for you. So like you, I think the most important piece, I don't care where you go and invest in any part of the country. The property management is the key. It's the glue that really holds the investment together. And that's the, that's the company that's, that, for me, that's the long-term play. And that's how your, your returns are actually going to play out is, is in the property management side. You know, it's amazing. I think we're kindred spirits here because we're so philosophically aligned, even though we're working in dramatically different markets, the, the, the values that we share in our respective businesses are remarkably similar. So thank you for that. And so for the listeners at home, definitely reach out to Josh and to Tom at goodsuccess.com. In the meantime, have a great rest of your weekend, make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. 